Welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast series produced by the National Collaborating Center for Indigenous Health. NCCIH focuses on innovative research and community-based initiatives promoting the health and well-being of First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples in Canada. This episode, a discussion about at-home chez soi, a multi-year community-based research study examining homelessness among Indigenous people in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Funded by the Mental Health Commission of Canada, the study was co-led by Dr. Gino D'Astasio of the University of Winnipeg, along with community partners Betty Edel and Lucille Bruce of End Homelessness Winnipeg. Here, they discussed the origins of the study and how an Indigenous perspective informed its work from the very beginning and beyond. Insights into prevention of homelessness are also highlighted. I'm Gino D'Astasio. I'm a professor of geography here at the University of Winnipeg. And I'm Betty Edel, a Métis woman from Winnipeg. I'm at End Homelessness Winnipeg now in the position of manager of prevention. My name is Lucille Bruce, and I'm the CEO of End Homelessness Winnipeg, and I'm also Indigenous. How did your team conceptualize homelessness? I guess from the broadest perspective, not just from homelessness isn't only just about having a physical structure. Homelessness contributes to disconnection and exclusion of people. It contributes to trauma of people, physical trauma, emotional, spiritual, and mental trauma of people. It's an isolating factor. It's, it's always uh, being in crisis, always being stressed out. So it's just impacting the person all the time. You know, so it's not, again, you can give someone a physical structure, but if they're not connected to family, to friends, to informal, formal supports that help them be everything that they were created to be. That's So that's how we look at homelessness as the whole person in like mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Yeah, I, I guess for End Homelessness Winnipeg too, uh, because we've become an Indigenous organization, we also now are uh, looking at homelessness particularly from an Indigenous lens and perspective, that's really important for us because we know there's historical context factor that come into play for Indigenous homelessness. And it goes back to a relationship to land, language, culture, uh, you know, ways of being and, and value-based. So, so we're beginning now to, in Winnipeg to... Uh, use that definition more in terms of how we approach homelessness because, as you know, the population in, in Winnipeg who are uh, homeless, it's, it's predominantly Indigenous people. So what are some of the root causes of homelessness for Indigenous peoples in Winnipeg? Well, again, I think when we talk about root causes, uh, we need to go back historically and look at the whole impact of residential school, the whole impact of colonization, 
and how that has affected and impacted Indigenous people. So when we look at Indigenous people today, we know they're the poorest of the poor. Uh, Poverty is a huge, huge issue uh, that hasn't been addressed. Lack of adequate, safe, affordable housing, huge issue that hasn't been addressed. If, if we even begin to look further on reserve communities, we know in this day and age that uh, uh, people, First Nation people living on reserve, don't have access to clean water. They don't have access to f- toilets, flushable toilets, all of that. You know, and, and then we ask ourselves, like in a country rich as Canada, why is that? Like, it shouldn't be happening. So there's the whole issue of structural and systemic racism as well that comes into play when we t- think about homelessness and Indigenous people. I think part of it for me, too, is what contributes now also, besides the historical, is the displacement of people off land. So if there's a fire, then you have to move out, or if there's a flood, and there never <clears throat> seems to be um, a quick resolution to that. Like we have people in this city who may be in a house, but they still feel homeless because they are not with their family and friends from where they come from. So they're in this city isolated because they're in limbo, because that is where they come from. So how can they be included? I've talked to people that feel they can't vote because, well, we're not really from here. We're just here waiting till they settle the land claim or say, build our housing. or So... You're keeping people in that limbo for years, and that really impacts people not being uh, connected. And I've heard of, um, and I guess it's just like the disconnect from people and the sadness that comes with it. And then, you know, you start meeting up with people that who do things that normally didn't happen in your own community. And so now that is contributing to that because now if you do go home, maybe you're going back with an addiction and then maybe in the community, okay, we don't want that. How how are we going to solve that? So people need access to substances they never had before. So now they're coming back here to get those substances and now they're ending up homeless on the street, right? So people are coming here sometimes for a better life also, like I want to go to school or I have to come for medical reasons. And then they're getting caught up homeless because the doctor's appointment is on this day, but you have to take the plane back or you're not going to get back. So what do I do now? You know, do I stay and get my medical care? Do I follow these rules and go home and then I won't get my medical care? So there's so many policies and procedures that are impacting people's lives to this day and age. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was going to sort of pick that up, because when we look at homelessness within the context of Manitoba, as has been said, tremendous movement of people from rural, northern, remote, reserve communities into places like Winnipeg, and then back to places like Thompson and Brandon. So there's a tremendous amount of movement But I would say, too, that one of the biggest challenges is 
the failure of our federal and provincial governments to provide adequate resources and supports in terms of self-governance and the ability to build better housing, to provide economic opportunities, and to lead solutions and ways out of where we're at today. Because where we're at today in 2019 is not all that different than it was 20, 40 years ago. And we're not... We're just not going to get our way out of this until all levels of government realize they have a responsibility to invest and support and provide those tools that are needed to move forward. And I think that that's been a tremendous gap, both policy, political will, and the ability to actually do something to to help communities support positive change. And even the gender-based services, like where do you go in rural and northern communities if there's violence in your home? Like how, where's the resources in the communities or even surrounding the communities? There's not that many resources. So again, people have to come in. So now what do I do? I have to uproot my whole family and leave my supports behind to try to figure out how I can have a better life here. So it's every facet of people's lives that are Mm -hmm. contributing to this. How does this understanding of root causes Mm -hmm. shape your work with Indigenous peoples experiencing homelessness and mental illness? Well, End Homelessness Winnipeg is working from the principles of truth and reconciliation and the UNDRIP. United Nation Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, including the rights to housing and including the social inclusion of people uh, who are directly impacted in the work that we do. So we involve people with lived experience in everything that we do. Any initiative that we move forward uh, in Winnipeg to address homelessness we ensure that the voices of the people who are directly impacted are included because we feel they are the ones that know what is needed, what is necessary to address homelessness, and that we need to listen to them. We also include the Indigenous leadership in our community to assist us in um finding ways to address homelessness because, as Gino stated, nothing much has changed, uh, particularly when we look at homelessness in the last 10 years. Uh, if, if we look at the last street census, we know that the numbers are pretty well the same, that 70% of the population who are homeless in Winnipeg are Indigenous. Those numbers have not changed in the last 10 years. So we realized that we had to do things differently now, moving forward. And, and uh, by, by saying that, I mean, we had to ensure that uh, we worked from uh, an Indigenous lens in everything that we do. We applied that Indigenous lens, but also uh, we integrate the cultural ways of doing things in terms of how we respond and how we set forward on the work that we do here in Winnipeg, as in Homelessness Winnipeg. 
Um, so we've now done a number of initiatives. We've we've set forward a number of key initiatives. We created a community sector leadership council that's reflective of the population that we're serving, 70% Indigenous, who will guide forth our work in addressing those gaps and the needs of, of Indigenous people in, in, in a meaningful way. We've um, also uh, changed our entire organization so that our board of directors also is reflective of that population now that we're serving. Uh, and we did that uh, with the intention that we would work from that cultural lens and cultural framework. Our staff is also reflective now of, of uh, uh, Indigenous people. And, and so the work that the staff is currently doing works from that cultural lens as well. So we, we've got uh, a number of initiatives, and maybe I'll let uh, Betty now step in and talk a little bit about some of the key initiatives, you know, that we're moving forward on working on addressing Indigenous homelessness in a significant way. So before I get to what we're doing now, I think at the core of how we engage with people is we engage with people from a strength-based because we recognize that um, a lot of people look at us as from a deficit, from we need, from they have to give us. They don't look at, at our relationship as reciprocal of you have a good life because I have pain. You can afford your house, your car, whatever, because I have pain and many of us have pain, Right. And when you understand when you're engaging with people, especially on intake forms or whatever, that if, if it's constantly coming from a deficit base, it impacts people because then they, they view, it impacts the, how they walk, how they talk, because they're always looked at as, okay, how can I make my story most needy, most deserving of help? so that uh, someone will help me now. So when you're doing intake forms, well, do I qualify? Because people would always think, okay, well, you trying to exclude me? Is that why you're asking me these questions? Because you don't want to help me? So if you're in relationship with people and you understand that trauma and you understand uh, just the desperation and just why... Do I have to blow up all my boundaries just to get simple help from you? Like, why do I have to tell you all my pain so you will help me get a house? You know, like when we go rent a house, you just go fill out your financial information, your references, and off you go, right? So we just, we treat people as our relatives, you know, we're upfront what we're doing with people who's going to have access to information. We give people permission to be who they are in our conversations. Like when we're talking, I've talked to people about, like, do you ever see or hear things? Not in a mental health perspective, but if you do, let me know. But from your teachings of your your knowledge keepers, your elders, and it's just like the freedom to, 
well, you know, I was sitting there peacefully and I heard this, like, you know, so it's like just the brightness in their eyes. Well, someone is going to listen to me that understands what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So that whole way of engaging with someone and bringing them back to you are a person of gifts and knowledge. And that is how I look at you. Don't you don't need to sit there and tell me all your your misery and your pain because we want people to remember you were more than this. You are more than a homeless person. You a homelessness mm-hmm. is an experience. It is not you as mm-hmm. a human being. You are an aunt, you are an uncle, you are a brother, you're a sister. So that helps with the emotional and mental and spiritual way of engaging with people. And so that's the importance of how we engage with people. So it's understanding that we're in a reciprocal relationship because on people's pain, if we're wise, that's how we learn the teachings, right? Like everyone who tells their story is teaching you something. So we all need to listen to all the teachings that are given us because that's the way out of this. And that Mm -hmm. is how we engage with each other. And that is the importance of talking to, uh, to the elders, to the youth. So instead of planning things for people, acknowledging that experience Mm -hmm. and the wisdom they've got from that experience of what would be helpful and to really Listen, not just hear, but to like really, really listen to what is being said and to know that we are all in this together. There is not one person or one organization that can solve homelessness, right? And the way you end homelessness is you need to look at everything and everyone needs to be involved. We can't point fingers and blame because if we're not all in this together we're never going to get out of it so that's like working with youth trying to help them stay in school and you know just like all the all the things that we're doing that are like working with um we're starting on a program now of um working like how do we work in the community with youth who are uh, aging out of care how is that connected to housing how is that connected to justice how is that connected to mental health and to health how is that connected to financial support like how is this all connected and to ensure we're not doing things for people but making sure we're having the voice of everyone at the table and looking at the whole picture and stopping the silos. Like We don't operate in silos. We all need to be together to do this. We all have a stake in this. You remind me of something, which is very important. I think what's, what's happened in Winnipeg, I think, is actually unlike any other city. Because if you go back to 1999, when the federal government got back into funding homelessness through Skippy, Communities had to put up plans. I think if you go back to 99 in Winnipeg, the table was different than it is now. The table was one where it was a lot of the existing stakeholders, Indigenous persons might have been invited to the table, may have contributed. But what we see now, 20 years later, is perhaps one of the most fundamental shifts 
that we've seen ever before in the establishment of End Homelessness Winnipeg as an indigenous organization. That is the table now. And it's taken 20 years to have this almost complete reversal of roles where indigenous voices, indigenous leadership is driving the, the narrative of how Winnipeg and in some ways Manitoba is going to move forward to supporting more individuals on their own path to recovery or ending homeless, whatever they're trying to do in that journey. But again, it's been 20 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 100 years for one organization in Winnipeg to come to the top to say, hmm, it's now our turn. Waiting patiently, but now I think we're going to see much more, I think just much more change that's really driven by those that understand the role of peers, the role of engagement, of community. Not that we hadn't seen this before, but it's from a different vantage point. And it's taken a while to get there, but I think Winnipeg will be a real leader in showing that it does and it will happen more and more where Indigenous leadership is driving change in a good way. In the last year, and homelessness Winnipeg has become the community entity to oversee the Reaching Home uh, Strategy Funding, which is the federal funding directed towards homelessness in Winnipeg. We now administrate that funding. So we administrate $10 million in this city of funding that goes towards providing services, supports for agencies and organizations to serve people who are homeless. And so it really now positions us really well uh, to influence how we're going to uh, uh, continue doing that important system transformation work uh, in the next uh, four years, right? Because we want to move forward. As I mentioned before, things have not changed in the last 10 years. So we're going to move forward now at ensuring that we work collectively with our community partners and stakeholders, including the Indigenous leadership, elders, people with lived experience, to now set forward priorities to, to create some system change. We've got, to, we've got to change those policies, as Betty mentioned, that are preventing people from accessing income security, housing, uh, services that they need. Uh, and we're going to look at how do we ensure that we remove barriers for people so they can quickly access housing? But in response to that as well, we need to build housing because we don't have enough housing for people who are struggling with addiction and mental health services. So we need to look at building different housing model types that will meet the needs of people who may be struggling both with addiction and mental health. Low barrier housing, for example, would be one solution to that. And as Betty mentioned, it takes now the will of all levels of government to work with us, including private sector investment, 
right, to, to, to move forward building housing for people who are homeless. We need them on board. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a tremendous amount of work for us. We recognize that, but we're moving forward on some key strategic initiatives to, that will hopefully address that. Could you tell us uh, the impetus or the background for your team's work on At Chesua, Home Chesua, uh, in Winnipeg and describe the housing first approach? So the At Home Chesua project began a decade ago in 2009 when five Canadian cities, Moncton, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg and Vancouver, came together with a range of partners, including the Mental Health Commission of Canada, to launch an assessment of housing first. And Housing First, in the early phases, was built on the pathways to housing model from New York City. And in a nutshell, it was really about working with folks on the street, providing rapid housing, and access to supports and services to end homelessness quickly, using uh, an assertive community treatment model, ACT, or an intensive case management model, ICM. So those two models provided supports to persons with moderate and severe mental health issues. And then the housing was to be the wraparound support to bring people together. It was largely an American intervention. So when the five Canadian cities pulled it in, each city tried to pull some unique aspects of the local within that. And I'll let Betty talk about kind of the local model. But in the end, what we tried to do over the first four or five years of At Home Chez Soi was say, we can work with individuals in the Canadian context using this American model, but Canadianized in some ways, to rapidly house and support individuals who are otherwise struggling. In the case of Winnipeg, we really wanted to focus in on addressing the local concerns, which were, again, as noted, primarily Indigenous individuals on our streets, 70 75%, whatever number we want to use. But we also knew that dropping an American model into Winnipeg wasn't necessarily going to work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get Betty to talk mm-hmm. about that component of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucille and I were both part of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, the issue, I would say, for the leadership that was involved with uh, starting um, from an Indigenous perspective at Home Chez Soi, I think is mainly women, that uh, that got that going, and to us, it had to be important. There, I understand in the states how they did stuff, but I kept on saying, "But we're we're we are from here. We are still connected to this land. We have a history here. So that may not be the same people that they're working with in the states, and we um, like it was very important to us." to really think about balance in what we were doing because if you only concentrate on housing, you'll put people out of balance. Like you have to look at the four directions and not just, okay, I'll house you and I'll wait for you to calm down enough and then we can start engaging on something, right? So it was the importance of... Uh, engaging with people from the beginning. Well, let's all go out to the country and we'll have a picnic. Let's um, let's talk about, okay, who knows how to bead? Who was taught to bead when they were younger? Do you want to share? 
and we'll, we can relearn those things. It was about the importance of laughter because we didn't want to put people out of balance. We didn't want to have people, oh, when I see them, I can only talk about misery. No, let's talk about laughter, like just going for a picnic in St. John's Park and someone just looking at you who was struggling to walk and that and just saying, hey, Betty, you know, when I was a kid, two of us swam across here. And just like the happiness of that, I was young and look how strong I was and look at the energy I had and just the joy, you know, it's like unlocking the the misery of, you know, and not only locking people into that and it's it's remembering to go fishing. It's mm-hmm. just remembering to be friends. It's remembering that when we were young, we had different ideas of where we would end up in life and we had different goals. And so if all through life, the only way you engage with people is you tell sad stories so they'll help you, we were trying to release, know the whole person. And then we would have uh, sharing circles and healing circles. And it was just like another way. And instead of saying to people, you're intoxicated and you can't come in here. The conversation would be, I know you're struggling now, but your friends, remember they just quit and and they're trying not to drink and you might upset them with being in. That's a different way to have a conversation versus you're bad and you can't be here versus, oh, but you care about these people and I know you're struggling a bit now and you can come back tomorrow but we don't want these people to, you know, it's that empathy and the reconnection. And it isn't only about me, it's about community starting to build that again and, and wishing the best for each other. And it's it's about laughter. It's just about laughter. It's about telling jokes. It's about um, looking at housing as and respecting that, People have friends, they have family. So not saying to people, well, you can't do this because if you do that, you're going to be evicted. But it's like, okay, so your friends, your family's coming in for some reasons. Okay, how can they stay here? How can we talk about this? You know, so like to do things in in a good way and just to include people because if for years... People have fed you and did your, made your bed for you and washed it all, and then now you have to do that. So how do we do that as a relative? How do we stand there and wash the dishes together and wash laundry versus doing it as a worker? Well, this is how this is a list, and how you like how do we do it in a different way? So we're not making people feel less than, but doing it as we would do with a friend and and a relative, right? And it was just like looking at the whole person and people working together and and having guidance from knowledge keepers and elders. And there was lots of hard conversations. There was many hard conversations. Mm -hmm. But you can have hard conversations without being spirit taking to someone else because when you start spirit taking then no one wants to talk to you so how do you have those hard conversations 
with other providers to help them see people in a different way and help them look at people in a different way and not just, well, what what's your plan? What's, what do you want to do for a good life? But if you've been in foster care your whole life and then you aged out and someone's asking you, well, what's your vision of a good life? Like, what, what would you be able to say, you know? So it's just doing things in a different way and helping people discover their gifts in a safe way. In a, you know, it's being in a good relationship with people so you can hear hard things because then you're in an authentic relationship and being able to say hard things to people. So it was that, and I know people call people clients and all that, but but we never looked at people as clients. We looked at them as as people, all our relations, like how do we love and care for each other and not look at someone that we have to analyze, dissect, figure out what we're going to do with them. So it was just a different way of engaging with people. Yeah. I, I think in terms of bringing housing first, part of that uh, national research demonstration project in Winnipeg, I think what what was successful here, being part of that project, was the fact that uh, we looked at the community and we strategically actually selected which Indigenous organization would become part of that national research project because the Indigenous community had said, no, you can't do this without us. We need to be part of this, this research project. If, if this is going to be rolled out in Winnipeg, we need to have a significant role to play in this. And we recognized uh, also uh, very early on that the Indigenous organizations in the city have been providing services from a culturally uh, relevant perspective for years now. So they brought all of that expertise, you know, into how do we adapt that housing first model and integrate that whole cultural aspect that Debbie, uh, Betty just spoke about in, in her examples. How do we do that adapted within how we approach housing first? And so this is what made us really unique because that cultural lens and perspective was pervasive and integrated into all of the housing first approach uh, within those three teams, right, that were established, but also even in the research piece that uh, was part of that uh, demonstration project. And so by doing that here in Winnipeg, uh, we developed also the expertise of housing first that had not been here in Winnipeg that carried on after the project left. So these three organizations who were involved are still operating Today, as we speak. And that's as, the only place in Canada. Yeah. That has that's housing first. With, and yeah. pr- with that cultural perspective fully integrated still in, yeah. in, in, in their approach. 
So it was a huge success, a huge win for Winnipeg. And it was because of the Indigenous leadership standing up and saying, no, we need to be fully engaged in this national research project and in, and uh, involved in it. Yeah. And we didn't dismiss other people like um, Housing First is a very medical model of mental health. Mm-hmm. So you can have a psychiatrist, but you can also have a knowledge keeper working together. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just about, okay, so analyze this person and give some pills, but you would have a different perspective with uh, from mm-hmm. an Indigenous lens. Well, maybe they don't need any medication. Maybe we need to talk about healing journey. Maybe we need to do some different things so we can go on the healing journey. Because part of what we hear a lot about is people being diagnosed with PTSD and getting medication. Medication isn't healing. Medication is numbing. There is a role for medication. Mm -hmm. But medication in and of itself will not move people onto a healing journey and to looking at that pain and owning it, taking the lessons and letting it go. That's what we cared about. Like, don't Mm -hmm. keep walking with that pain and holding it. What's the teaching in it? How do we let it go? And I think that that really defined Winnipeg among the five cities that mm-hmm. in other other jurisdictions, not in a bad way, but most of the partnerships were with hospitals, psychiatric mm-hmm. units, and more pure university-based approaches. Mm-hmm. Here, it was completely different. And I would say that it was much more centered within the community mm-hmm. that then connected to other layers, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to remember, too, that you had the the Mental Health Commission of Canada sort of dropping in a medical-based model and Winnipeg community leadership, I think, saying, as we've said, no, it'll be the community-based organizations working with, not for. And I really think the governance approach was very collaborative, Mm -hmm. very welcoming, but with a lot of questions, a lot of back and forth. And it took a long time to build all those kinds of different relationships that I would say existed within most of the groups that were in Winnipeg at the time, mm-hmm. but to build that trust mm-hmm. up into the, the commission took time and a lot of energy. But I do think that the outcome of that is mm-hmm. 10 years later, like, you know, last week I got a hug from one of the, um, one of the uh, project workers from Mumawi who saw me on the street and we just had a, a short conversation. Mm-hmm. We still see individuals, mm-hmm. you know, from a research side, we still have participants from the project coming into the University of Winnipeg just to say hello. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's the same in other communities. We have different kinds of relationships Mm -hmm. that we've all sort of learned. Well, we had a lived experience circle that the university was supportive. Yeah, and it's still going. Yeah. I think the greatest gift that I got from this project was learning other ways of thinking Mm -hmm. and doing and being inspired and transformed by that. Uh, mm-hmm. And how important all these relationships and all these things that were going on and why it was so important to take time, why it was so important to listen, why it's so important to keep those mm-hmm. relationships going even a decade later. You know, and, and that extends to other organizations here. We, when we came together in Winnipeg, it wasn't just for a small project and then we all walked away. Mm-hmm. I think we knew that that was impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. And for good or bad, 
we're all still connected. Yes. Right? In different ways, In but different we're still ways, connected. But still very much focused on addressing homelessness, right? Yes. Yeah. Just turning now to some of the um, the lessons learned, you talked a little bit about research. And I'm just wondering if you could comment about the research process during that the Shesua program, particularly with regards to Indigenous engagement. Like you spoke a little bit about it, but just mm-hmm. to maybe expand on that mm-hmm. so that we can hear about Indigenous engagement. Mm-hmm. I think the research piece was secondary to the, the goal of trying to support communities using housing first more effectively to help folks transition from the street. The research in other jurisdictions became the defining component of the at-home Chesois project. For us, I think we, we put it second. We did have to collect information, and we collected a lot. And there's been a lot of publications and a lot of research that's been used to help support ongoing funding for Housing First, and that's good. But I like to say that in Winnipeg, we helped try to tell important stories to people that needed to listen to understand that we had to keep investing in the organizations that were providing the supports and services. And if there's a legacy that I would think came from that research, it's that the original money from the At Home Chez project, which was about $110 million, went on to leverage 600 more million, 600 more million in the first wave of the housing partnership strategy money, and that it has continued to make that investment through Housing First and other strategies to end homelessness important. And I think we just were able to use that evidence to keep moving the agenda forward, which I still think moves mm-hmm. back to the, the importance of, of end homelessness Winnipeg becoming an Indigenous organization that is leading mm-hmm. Winnipeg's solutions as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And it goes back and undoes some of the... The, the mishaps that we had 20, 25 years ago where, again, different organizations being invited to a table that wasn't being set by the community. And now the community setting the table, inviting the partners in an open manner, but doing it from a different mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the at-home relationships helped us rethink yes. some ways that we could do things a little bit differently. I yeah. expect that they'll keep evolving. You know, but 125, 130 peer-reviewed papers were one tiny piece of the real root of what happened in Winnipeg, which was much more rich. Yeah, what was really interesting, too, because I sat at the research uh, committee tables as well with Gino and other researchers and the the four other sites across the country. What what was really interesting, too, is... uh, we were actually um, sort of bringing that knowledge to all the other researchers. There was very, from my perspective, there was very little understanding of working from an Indigenous lens and an Indigenous perspective in how we address homelessness with Indigenous people. And we know across the country, in every cities, uh, Indigenous people are disproportionately represented. And I think we brought that to that table uh, in terms of, of how we 
talked about what was being done in Winnipeg that was different with that whole cultural uh, integration of the whole cultural piece in Housing First. And they were very interested, I believe, in learning. But apprehensive in the beginning. But apprehensive because there was sort of a disconnection of, well, you know, what are you saying? You know, this needs to be looked at differently and uh, that we need to approach the research differently. Um, but some were very open at hearing about how things... So we helped to educate as well, Gino. I think that's what we did in terms of Winnipeg. We helped to educate people that we you need to work from a different approach and lens when you're working with Indigenous people. You can't work from that Western model thinking is what we brought to the table. And Gino, you alluded to this. One of my concerns that I often express about research is that it just comes in and it takes... Uh, it takes, it doesn't give back, right? It takes people's mm -hmm. knowledge, their pain, then people write reports and the reports go wherever they go, right? So I think the importance of the research that was done under at-home Chez Soi is it contribute to a legacy being left, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. the legacy is end homelessness Winnipeg, right? So it contributed something mm -hmm. instead of just taking something. It, it contributed... Yeah to the movement forward of Indigenous leadership and, and the voices of those with lived and mm -hmm. living experiences. Like, it was meaningful. It didn't just take people's pain and log it. Like, it was meaningful stories that we can learn from to create something so we can continue moving forward. So going forward, which is yeah. what we talked about, how could Indigenous communities, public health researchers, policy decision makers, funding, funders, knowledge users best work toward preventing homelessness among Indigenous peoples in terms of research, in terms of community-based initiatives, policy and programming? So you can just touch on... Well, for me, my conversations have been for the last long, long time, about we need, there's a difference between intentions and impact. So if you have intentions, but you're not evaluating what the policies and procedures you're putting in place and the impact it's having on people, we need to really start looking at that, right? We need to start having those hard discussions. We need to start seeing like the whole picture of when youth are aging out of care, how does mm -hmm. EIA get impacted? If our youth going from the Manitoba Youth Centre into mm -hmm. Headingley, why is this happening? The role of poverty mm -hmm. in what we're doing, the role of education. If we're suspending youth from school and if education is a way out of poverty and poverty and leaving poverty behind and being able to get a home, we need to look at what are we doing and if my my view of systems are, and I've been really thinking a lot lately about problem bias, right? If we're creating systems that make the jobs easier for the people who are working in them, then it's hard for the same people 
to look at them differently because it's meeting their needs. So we need to all sit down at the table at the Mm -hmm. same time Mm -hmm. and have those hard discussions of, yes, I hear what you're saying, but when you have those rules, like if you're incarcerated and you're going to be released, but you can't get EIA the day you're getting out, then you're releasing someone into homelessness, which we just need to logically think, okay, what are the rules? You're not asking anyone to give anyone any money while, while they are in a correctional facility, but what are the rules that are preventing us from ensuring that people are walking out of a correctional facility with a damage deposit and with a rent form so that all the supports out here who help them can actually help them. Mm-hmm. So we need to all sit down together and have those hard conversations mm-hmm. about what we've set in place, what's working really well, what isn't working well, mm-hmm. and how do we figure this out. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with that. It's, it's To me, right now, we've got to shift also our perspective of how we work from managing homelessness, right, to ending and finding long-term solutions to homelessness. And that's where we're shifting our work to lead to that system transformation work that Betty's talking about. And part of that shift is also shifting from doing downstream work, which is what emergency response services are doing, to doing upstream work, which is stopping the flow Preventing it. Betty just talked about the flow from, uh, you know, kids aging out of care into homelessness, the flow of people being released from justice system into homelessness. Um, we, we need to, to, to start now focusing on that whole prevention aspect. And as a community, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm repeating a little bit of what Betty said. We need to work together in a coordinated fashion. So unless, and, and stop working from that silo model, right? So we, we need to work together, uh, uh, all of the services, including all levels of government and private sector, uh, to, to come up with solutions. And, uh, part of, that work will require uh, ongoing engagement with uh, Indigenous people to provide that direction to, to us in terms of what needs to change, how do we go about making those changes. Uh, we need to involve Indigenous leadership elders to provide us with that guidance and support as we move forward on this. I go back to 99 where the the view of homelessness, its solutions were really about building our way out of this with heads on beds, right? So we thought we could build our way, build shelters. Then we thought it was about labor challenges, right? So we need to retrain and support people sort of the mid-2000s. And so I think Winnipeg becomes this really interesting spot where, and I've had this really cool position of, of, helping on some of those community plans for the last 20 years, watching this evolution of, again, heads on beds to some kind of labor mismatch to recognizing things like mental health 
to now where we are in 2019 and 2020, which is coming full circle and just saying to the community, the solutions are yours. Mm -hmm. Here's the resources. Here's the supports. They're not enough. So we need to keep advocating for more funding and more supports by all three levels of government and the private sector and allow organizations like End Homelessness Winnipeg to move towards both long-term prevention and ending who's on the streets now by providing this community-based, strength-based approach that has really just completely turned the table at Winnipeg. And, and I think move, that's where we're at. They're moving away from a personal deficit and a yes. blaming a person to looking at systems yes. and the policies and the procedures that are perpetuating this and mm-hmm. creating it. But let them come, let those policies, let those solutions and ideas come from the new table that's been set here. And it's with the right community-based leadership model that is, again, rooting us from the ground up as opposed to these drop-down kind of approaches that are a coverall. So in Canada, we don't have one solution because we don't have one set of issues that represent all the individuals, all the stories and the dynamics that are at play. So communities have to be the drivers of their own plans, their own solutions. And I think people should look to Winnipeg and this new model emerging from End Homelessness Winnipeg as being one of these amazing examples that took well over 20 years to come, but it's here. And I think it will show that communities have the right capacities, the right leaders, the right expertise to get all this stuff done. We just need to believe. To hear more podcasts in this series, head to the Voices from the Field homepage located on the website of the National Collaborating Center for Indigenous Health, nccih.ca. Music on this podcast is by Blue Dot Sessions. It appears under a Creative Commons license. Learn more at www.sessions.blue.